and welcome fellow awesomeologists to Awesomeology. I'm Sue. And I'm Ben. And in this episode, we're welcoming a returning guest, Denise Wymore. Denise is the marketing manager for small credit unions at Zest AI, president and chair of the board of the DeNovo CU Collective, which we'll talk a little bit, an author and self-certified in the art of GSD, which maybe we'll define that. <laughs> welcome, Denise. We're so happy to have you here. I'm so glad to be back. I love that self-certified. Okay, you're exactly right. We'll talk about that. <laughs> well, let's. We we really don't like to keep our audience in uh, waiting in too much anticipation or angst. So let's just define GSD. Let's get that done right away. I have to give credit to Sue Mitchell at an underground, and she said, "We need to." Um, I'll just say it. We need to get shit done, and then later she made it get stuff done. And I thought, you know, GSD, that's the thing that I've always kind of prided myself on is, is just diving in and getting done. Yeah. And so I added it to my, I, that day, I added it onto my LinkedIn profile. 100% of the people I've talked to think it's some kind of doctorate or some kind of real degree, which cracks me up. And then when I tell, nobody's at, very few people have asked. They just assumed that I had some, you know, high level degree, like I do self-certified GSD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. I mean, we need the GSDers in the, in the world. Uh, lots right. of people with great ideas and that love to talk. And there's a lot of people that uh, make all that stuff happen. So thanks for being a certified GSD. We like it. Yep. Yeah, we should, you know, we should really talk Denise. If, if you can certify us, if we can certify ourselves or how that process works. I know. You know, yeah. I think I know what your one of your last questions are. I'm going to wait there because I have a really good idea. Ooh, nice little bookends. <laughs> okay, there we go. Spoilers. I love it. Awesome. <laughs> well, a thing that we know about you, Denise, is that you have uh, a wealth of knowledge and passion for what you do. And so it is hard after we got a chance in August uh, to have you on our first ever live, live podcast, which, yes, I have never gotten over. Um, that we got to do that after we uh, had the opportunity to have you on there. It was really hard to decide what Denise has so many things that we could talk about. Um, but we invited you back for this live recording and you were all about it already in August. And I remember saying, you know, we can talk about anything you want to talk about. You said, yes, small credit unions. We've got to save them is what you said to me. Uh, so I think that's a good place to start. It's my yeah, favorite totally subject. Agree. It's my yeah. favorite subject. And you know, as Kyle Houtman recently said at an NCOA board meeting, there are 3000 credit unions still under 250 million. And that is not a niche. That is the industry. Right. Right. And so, and I'm so glad when he said that because, um, you know, it, yes, it is harder and harder to run a small credit union. Um, we can't save them all as much as I would like to there. I've met many in, in my travels in the last several years that don't want to be saved. You know, I mean, to be honest, I, I think some of them are going to go away for various reasons. But for us as a movement to say that you cannot survive unless you have certain asset size is an irresponsible statement, in my opinion. And it's short-sighted and it um, flies against, if, if the people that say that I think have like never been to the America's Credit Union Museum, probably are not aware of the history of credit unions or why they even started in America. 
if you go back and look at that, I mean, the the reason why we have financial cooperatives is because the little guy, the little guy was not being served by banks. They had no choice but to go to predatory lending and loan sharks. And so people pooled their finances to work together to collectively save so that they could loan to, basically, as a friend said, the credit union is like borrowing from your friends, family, and coworkers only in the less awkward way, right? And so that's what, <laughs> that's what the original credit union model sounds very simple. And yet when you look at the, the values behind it and the mission, there's nothing like it in America. And if credit unions disappear, which is what we're on a trajectory of becoming more just like a, a bunch of you know, community banks, if you will, then we've lost that option. And we Americans should have that option. The credit unions are kind of like, I think the original, I was thinking about this, the original Apple computer, like with Steve Jobs. He never wanted or expected Apple to be the largest selling computer, right? Yeah. It was, he just wanted it to be the best. You know, and so credit unions, you know, we have 8% market share. We we always kind of have. I don't think we ever thought that, you know, we would represent 80% of financial institutions in America, but we want to be the best. And so if you look at the uniqueness of these small credit unions, um, you go out to a, a remote community and you see a church with 900 people. And if that credit union weren't there, it would be a bank desert. And it serves a unique purpose for these parishioners. They basically just do signature loans for these parishioners. But if, if you go to church and I do, I mean, there's no stronger community than that. And you think about them pooling their resources. Should that credit union survive today? Yes, absolutely. Do a lot of people think it should or could? No, a lot of people think it, it should merge. And it's not going to make it because it's not growing. And I disagree. So, I, you know, I, I see there are more of those stories in small credit unions than there are of people who are giving up. But technology has become extremely expensive or is extremely expensive. And I think that's really the boat anchor weighing the small credit unions down right now. Not only are they in a bad core system with a very long contract that they're stuck in, literally being held hostage. But we need to work together to create economies of scale through a CUSO model, which we have, um, in fact, Sue Mitchell, I, I mentioned her earlier, she's been working with our group um, through the underground to start a, a CUSO called the Revolution CUSO, which we envision it being kind of a CUSO of CUSOs, if you will, and that is geared specifically to have small credit unions be able to get more buying power collectively Mm -hmm. to get into better technology and to be able to advance in the digital world. It makes, we know what the answer is. It's a CUSO model, six cooperative principle, cooperation among cooperatives, tells us it's the CUSO model. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a matter of building it. And we've got a lot of traction in that area. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, to know that, uh, you know, the core system is a major issue for so many of these small credit unions. Um, I don't know if I necessarily want to say it's easy to identify that, but maybe one of the easier things to just see with your own eyes or hear from them um, than to have the solution for mm -hmm. what replaces that, you know, is maybe the more challenging part. So that's super cool and interesting that there's something in the works um, yeah. and in, in the credit union way, right? In this collaborative mm -hmm. way through the QSO model, which obviously we're a little partial to being a QSO ourselves. So um, amazing. That's really, really cool to share. I just have one little like side question um, and I don't want to throw you off or put you on the spot, but 
very early on when I came into the credit union movement, one of the first things that I heard was the bigger and bigger a credit union gets, the more and more it looks like a bank, right? You kind of alluded to that, you know, as more mergers and things happen and credit unions grow in asset size and stuff, we maybe look more and more like community banks. How does, how does, because merger is going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, everything that people like you and us are doing to help support small credit unions, to keep them alive, keep them you know, thriving and um, really see, have their membership see the value of their existence. Um, while we might be trying to do that, we understand that some merger is still going to happen. For those credit unions that grow in asset size and look more and more like uh, a community bank, what's the other option for them? What can they do to keep the credit union spirit alive, keep the model true, um, and actually continue to be a credit union and not just something that looks and smells like a bank? Yeah, you know, I think there are a lot of there are a lot of big credit unions that do amazing things in their communities. You know, I mean. And I think that's one of the advantages too, when they do get bigger, they've got more resources, they have more people, mm-hmm. they have more, you know, funds. And so to say, you know, big credit union, bad, little credit union, good is, is not at all, you know, my message because there are a lot of large credit unions that do, I mean, I see some here locally in, in New Mexico that do amazing things in their community. But I guess, you know, the thing that's is kind of ironic is um, as the movement continues to shrink, um, Taxation has been the threat of taxation. I've been in credit unions over 40 years. I think it's always been top of mind, right? I mean, it's just forever and ever and ever. We go to the GAC, it's all we talk about. America's credit unions, that's number one, job one, keep us from being taxed. And yet, when we actually go to testify and we say, here's the credit union difference, what is that credit union difference? That's what we're needing to protect, right? We need to, if we want to protect ourselves from taxation, we need to protect the real credit union difference. And the more that it looks like a financial cooperative, truly people helping people affinity, you know, let's talk about, you know, financial inclusion too, right? And and serving the underserved. The more we can shine a light on that, the more we are protecting that credit union difference. And you see it in the small credit unions. It's so easy to show that story Mm -hmm. in the small credit unions. And so there's kind of a concern if like, if we don't preserve that, then is taxation inevitable, right? And I mean, I'm, I'm kind of neutral on the issue of taxation, to be honest, but I know that that's job one, right? For the state trade associations and for the national uh, association. Um, job one right now should be starting new credit unions. People think I'm insane, <laughs> but job one should be starting new credit unions. And I don't know if you guys saw Becky Reed um, published her first book. And Becky Reed is everywhere right now because she is a pioneer in distributed ledger technology. And she and John Wingate at Bank Social have an application into the NCUA to start a new credit union on blockchain. So a decentralized finance on mm. blockchain technology. And in doing so, they have created or are creating a template so that a new credit union model, the template is there. It's really hard to start a new credit union because there's, there's no template. There are no sample policies and procedures. There's nothing on the NCUA website, state trades. Nobody nobody starts new credit unions today, right? It's nobody's job. But Becky and John, it's a renaissance. I mean, it's truly what they are doing right now is creating a blueprint for the future of the credit union movement in starting many small credit unions, which is exactly what we've needed. 
right? Because the current model is so laborious for a couple of reasons. In fact, Becky shined a light on it. You know what, where the tipping point was where credit unions started to actually shrink in size through merger and we stopped starting them as rapidly was actually um, in the 80s. And I started in the 80s uh, when the SNL failure happened. And when the SNL failure happened, that's when the NCUA swooped in and said, we're going to have a requirement that you have capital. Think about it. That's when it really, that was like mm -hmm. when the bird flapped its wings, right? And there was a hurricane <laughs> that was, or the butterfly flapped its wings on that day and said, you have to have capital. And so it became harder and harder for credit unions to raise and maintain the capital requirement. And then coming in, it's about a million dollars, right? And that has to be donated capital. And so that was really the moment, and Becky showed me that, that was the moment, the change, where it became harder, not only to stay open, but really hard to start a new one. So that capital requirement in her new model, I've seen a little sneak peek of the new model, is not as onerous, and, and that's huge. And the cost of technology is pennies for transactions compared to the dollars that we have right now. So she solved two of the issues. and. I'm excited. I was super excited, super hopeful for the future of credit unions. And again, a renaissance. I think it's, you know, we're going into web 3.0. My gosh, I'm old enough to have been web one, web nothing, right? <laughs> <laughs> web what? To, you know, web 1.0, 2.0 now where I'm living all the way to 3.0. But it's exciting. You know, it's, it's really exciting to see all that change in my career. And rather than being afraid of it, you know, I'm embracing it. And folks like Becky and John, who, you know, I get to play in their sandbox with them, um, they're they're pioneers, and that's exactly what we read, need right now. Edward Filene was pioneer, right? Mm -hmm. And we need someone that's bold and brave and going to try something new, and that has a good fault. Like social media, they have a great. We we have that thankfully now, right? Didn't have that in 1934. Somehow everybody got Testes Park, Colorado. We have no idea. They had no cell phones. I don't know how they did it. Yeah. There's no internet. It's a miracle when you think about it. You're saying they For didn't those, Uber? There was no. There I'm going to no say there's no Uber. You missed this part. Yeah, I'm going to say there's <laughs> no Uber and uh, probably not a Greyhound bus. Okay. Either. Yeah. But somehow they did it. For those of you that don't know, I would. It that was kind of the moment that was the birth of the national credit union movement. Big right. famous picture, 1930. Go to the America's Credit Union Museum. You will see it, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's there's so much to unpack unpack there. I think one takeaway that I would have from what you just said was, uh, you know, I guess back to the to that question of you know what can larger credit unions do to keep the credit union spirit alive and stuff is you know well one be an active participant in the movement right? You know, there just like there were new capital requirements. Uh, as credit unions get larger, there's you know additional requirements and regulation and things like that that make it tougher to feel like a small credit union that maybe doesn't mm -hmm. have to deal with some of the things that a larger credit union does. So one thing that they can do because they have maybe the time, the talent, the additional resources of a larger credit union is support these efforts to help um, do some of the amazing things that you're talking about, like starting new credit unions, supporting the new technology that might make uh, starting new credit unions possible. and and things like that. So no matter what size credit union you are, there's still an opportunity for you to help keep that small credit union, that that movement alive. And that's, you know, I think such an important word that some folks like to dance around and mm -hmm. 
call it an industry because it feels more natural and people know what an industry is, but it, it started as a movement. It is a movement and we can all participate in it. That's really important mm -hmm. to keep that alive, that feeling of it really being. And, and what a great time in history for, I'm, and maybe better, maybe would have been better if we had never had to come back to have a renaissance, mm -hmm. but what a great time to have a renaissance because I think in the marketplace, the generations that are coming up now and are going to be making decisions are looking for that kind of, uh, that kind of agency in the things that they do, they want that they want to be able to, uh, they want to be able to do their business and be customers of businesses that are ethical and are creating change in the world and uh, doing all of the things credit unions have done for over a hundred years. Mm -hmm. And what a great time to be able to re, you know, reproclaim sort of that gospel of credit unions and people helping people and financial cooperatives. And, uh, and maybe, and don't tell all of the younger people this, let them think they thought of it. Oh yes. <laughs> that would be awesome. If they, if they were to embrace it and say, this is our idea, that's probably one of the things we really truly need. Cause you're absolutely right. And the groups that have come to the CU Novo collective that are going through the path, the gauntlet, if you will, the NCUA charter process, you know, they've, they've, like, why don't they become a seg of a large credit union? I get that question a lot. You know, why do they need to start their own credit union? And it's because a lot of what you just said, if they, they really understand the value of the affinity of their group. Case mm -hmm. in point, about a month ago, I was introduced to the African Diaspora, proposed African Diaspora Council Federal Credit Union. They're in stage three of the NCUA charter process. I learned a new word. I didn't know the word diaspora. I had to put it in the Google machine. But when I learned about you know, this, this group together um, in one of their, their problems of Africans. So these are African immigrants to America as well as African-Americans in this council. And they want to start their own credit union. And they found that, um, and they shared this with me, is that they're actually kind of very distrustful of one another. And yet when they came up with the, because they had this council, and they have these, these chapters actually all over the world, I learned. Um, and it's a cultural center. They have introduced the concept of a credit union for them, and they really like it because so many of their um, members are using payday lending, right, to make ends meet. They're getting stuck in that cycle, um, which is awful, and that's one of the first products they want to offer is a payday lending rescue program, if you will. But when I've, I've met with these two folks, um, Michael and Rayo, and I hear the story of uh, one of the issues they also face. Um, many Africans, like Hispanic in America, they send money home, right? They, they come to America, they get a job, they get good education, and they're supporting families back home, and they're wiring money. Do you know how much money it costs them to wire money? Because they have to use things like MoneyGram and Western Union. It is $7 per 100. Oh, my God. Doesn't that kill you? So when they explained to me, like, one gal grew up in Nigeria and didn't have shoes till she was 12. I mean, I get all choked up. And she's telling me like the impact that that $7 could have if it could make its way to Africa is mm -hmm. staggering. And so when I hear of a problem like that, I just, that's what I, I dig in. Like we got to solve that. So I reached out to Becky and I said, Becky and John, you know, Bank Social, I said, distribute a ledger technology. 
can you crack this nut? She said, absolutely. And we can do it for pennies. So we are work, actively working on um, looking at how we can get like one of the first DLT transactions to Nigeria to get money home for pennies rather than $7 per hundred. I mean, that one thing and through this credit union could literally save lives. If you think mm -hmm. about it, it could literally save lives. And who doesn't want to be part of that? Right? So that's why credit, everything you said about credit unions, that's what makes us different. We are mm -hmm. not schlepping financial products and services. We are changing lives. And we have from the very beginning. We should be so proud of that. Yeah. That was a mic drop moment. I feel like we could just end the episode right now. Stop it. <laughs> There's more good stuff to come. We can't stop. Yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> so, Denise, let's. I I know I previewed this question to you before we started recording, and then I got excited because you got excited to answer it. What would you say to the people who say? You know, we have handled this smaller credit union, quote unquote, problem through merger before we, you know, that's, that's how we deal with little credit unions. Uh, we just eat them up and that's all we have to do. What would you say to people who think that that is the way forward for small credit? You know, unions? I've talked to several credit union CEOs who have gone through a merger who have said, if looking back, they wouldn't wish they wouldn't have done it, honest to God. Because one of the things that they realize is extremely expensive. You mm -hmm. have to buy out all the contracts. I mean, one credit union CEO said she spent $12 million buying out contracts. So if you do the math, on, I mean, that's where I just wonder, like, really, are we doing the math on this? And there's really no data out there that says, if you merge XXX, you're going to get X return, right? Or because of your growth, everybody just mm -hmm. kind of glazes over. There's no real research on there, right? And the other thing is when you when you buy another credit union, um, you don't necessarily, you're not guaranteed those members, right? right? I mean, they can go anywhere. And and I think having a growth strategy via merger um, feels somewhat, uh, oh, I don't want to say really, I don't want to be mean about this, but it feels somewhat lazy. Organic growth is harder. Mm -hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Organic growth is harder because organic growth means that you've got to differentiate yourself in your marketplace. Right. You've got a ton of competition. You, you're not going to you know, you're not going to grow as quickly. And, you know, there's another butterfly flaps its wings moment for for this story, too. And that was H.R. 1151, because when H.R. 1151 and it was I mean, we had to fight it. We had to you know, we had to do it. But it really opened the door for community charter. And I saw many credit unions ditch their sponsor name, right? Get some generic name, get some territory and thinking, this is great. You know, we're, we're not going to be bound to this one group. We're going to be lives, works, worships in eight counties. And as a marketer, I, I watched that with horror. <laughs> because I sitting in Seattle, Washington, I lived there at the time. And I saw a bus, a bench, and I saw a billboard on the same street, Lake City Way, I remember. And it was one credit union said, now anyone can join. And on the bus bench was another credit union that says, now anyone can join. And it was this moment of like, oh my gosh, we've lost our way. Because they're not saying why. And it's like, what mm -hmm. do you do, right? And it's, so, it's like, 
so the community charter also, the ripple effect of that, what's happened, um, the average age of a credit union member continues to go up and up and up. The average age right now is 53, the highest it's ever been in my uh, journey. Mm. And the reason is, and I just read a report last year, it's we've lost referral. So mm -hmm. if you think about affinity credit unions, you know, there's uh, teachers, you know, union workers, railroad, airline, whatever, there was an affinity. Members knew the day they joined the credit union. Why? Because it was usually the first day of their new job, right? I've been a member since because I started that job and that job came with this credit union membership. And then that was a family referral, right? Dad was a teacher, dad was a truck driver, dad, whatever, or mom. Sorry, I sound like I'm from the 50s. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> there was a study that showed that something like, you know, 80% of parents don't refer financial institution anymore to their children. There's that affinity has gone. It's gone. It, we've now mm -hmm. been outside of HR 1151 long enough that we have a whole generational cycle of a community charter credit union that is bringing in people whose only affinity is where they live. And, and if you think about just from neighborhood to neighborhood to neighborhood in any big city, it's completely different, right? And so that it's gone. And so there's not that referral. And then the other data point in there was that young people don't listen to their parents anyway, right? So, but that makes sense why the average age continues to go up, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, we've just absolutely got to fix that. Um, the merger, again, there are some credit unions that have to merge. Um, there are some that are, you know, I watch the merger reports like crazy. I break it down. I look at every single one. What is the reason? You know, what's, how many assets were they? What, what name are we giving up? You know, uh, Frank Diekman has done a really great job of telling the merger stories and kind of in an RIP way, kind of honoring the legacy of these 80 year old credit unions that are closing their doors. And it's, you know, it's really kind of sad, but you know what the number one reason for merger is? expanded services. Number one, hmm. like over 60% of mergers last year, same reason, expanded services. And guess what? The QSO model will fix that. And that's what also why I look at the mergers and say, those aren't necessary. They're not necessary. Expanded, now a CEO can't recruit a CEO, bad management, low capital. Like I said, you can't save them all. Those are gonna have to merge, but it's a handful. It's not the majority. And, it, and as a strategy for growth, for growth's sake, I've always said this, bigger isn't better. Bigger isn't better, right? Yeah. Better is better. And I've seen a lot of five, 10, $15 million credit unions. They're doing amazing things in their community. Yeah. So educate me a little bit, expanded services, but we're talking being able to offer more is too taxing, can't do it. Yeah, usually tied to their core. You know, they're literally held hostage by their core processor. And I've seen under the hood of some of these 80s legacy core processors and and they can't. I mean, they can't add digital mm -hmm. services with that core. They can't, they can't add any of those things. And so, but again, the QSO model, this like revolution QSO, if we get the best of the best, the QSO of QSOs and make it affordable because we get a lot of people on there, then they can get that, you know, coveted economies of scale without merging. Right. And that's what they need. Because that's always been the excuse. Oh, you got, you know, economies of scale. If you're not over 500, that's when it hits in over 500 million. Ugh. That's math. Yeah. That's not yeah. a strategy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, clearly some common challenges between some of these small credit unions. You've mentioned a subset, maybe some that are, you know, held hostage based on, you know, some systems, their core system or whatever it might be. And 
in place that's just not allowing them to do the things that they need to do to continue to move forward and stay relevant to their membership. What other common needs do small credit unions have? Maybe, maybe not even uh, one that sounds a little doom and gloomy of these uh, this small subset that's you know in a really tough spot with a system that just can't be upgraded and they're held hostage yeah. by a contract. So the other thing that's happened, I wrote about this um, in a CU Insight article earlier this year. I did a lot of research because I'm all about cause and effect, right? Root cause, and you know what are what are what are those things? And the other thing that I uncovered is um, it's getting harder and harder to recruit um, CEOs for smaller credit unions. And if you think about the number of credit unions in America now is under 4,700, 3,000 under 250 million. And then there are only little, not even 500 that are over a billion. But that, the, that little group over a billion represent like 72% of all the assets of credit unions. And that mirrors the wealth gap in America if you think about it. Right, it very much mirrors mm. the wealth gap, and what that has happened in the credit union system. So then you think about state trade associations, right? Fewer and fewer credit unions. There's less than 40 here in New Mexico, and the whole dues structure has created kind of a wealth gap thing too, right? The big, big, big mm. credit unions pay incredible dues. The little ones don't, and so I, I understand, you know, why the technology goes to that. But the thing I was really shocked at was a Q's executive compensation salary survey that was published. In 2022, the median uh, compensation for a CEO, credit and CEO, and this is base plus bonus, was over $400,000, the median. And so if you think about that, I mean, that's, and it, and it went up 18% in one year was noted in that one survey. So the salaries have just gotten crazy. I don't begrudge anybody a good living, but yowza. So then what that does is you've got the same kind of a wealth gap in salary we had a credit union CEO retire here after 25 years, you know, in rural New Mexico, making $50,000 a year. And, you know, $50,000 a year um, for, a, for where they live in New Mexico, they, you can live. Can you recruit with that? <laughs> no. And so we find it's getting harder and harder. It used to be that a C-suite at a, you know, 500 plus million dollar credit union would, would jump at the opportunity to manage a $100 million credit union. But now they take a cut and pay, right? And so we're, we're seeing that more and more. It's getting harder and harder to recruit for small credit union CEOs. So my idea, because I don't just like, I always think there's the problem. What are some solutions? I reached out, or actually a DE, a recent DE, uh, credit union development educator, uh, filled out the form in the CU Genovo Collective volunteering that they wanted to help. And so I, put, I said to her, hey, you're a credit union development educator, best class ever, right? <laughs> on fire, young, young, amazing woman who wants, you know, credit unions are going to be her career, but she's middle management. And I, I challenged her. I said, I know the D is your, your goal is that you continue to work on projects. Right. And she actually has a team. I said, here's your team's challenge. She created a program like a Peace Corps or like a traveling nurse program where you have these young people go into a program and they want to become a CEO of a small credit union and they agreed to be deployed like for a year or two to rural New Mexico. And now let's say a loan manager at a midsize gets to be the CEO of a $50 million credit union in rural New Mexico. They've now got that on their resume. They've got that skill set. There are solutions, right? And we have programs like the I3, the Crashers, the DEs, CUNA Management Schools. We have all these programs that could be feeders to that kind of a solution 
if we had a coordinated effort. And that then could help kind of nurture these small credit unions and get them good leadership. It's a win-win, right? They get good leadership the same time they're grooming a future executive. And um, I've heard anecdotally, I actually reached out to the Filene the gal that's in charge of crashers, and they want to do some math on it because they've heard it too, that 40% of the crashers leave uh, the movement because they get back to their credit unions. Many times it's a big credit union. They see no upward mobility. They're excited to do something with their career and they end up leaving the movement. And that's a shame, right? Yeah. We should be, we should be nurtured. We should have another path for them. Mm -hmm. And that's where we need it, right? So if we could get that over there, it's all about, keeps coming back to that six cooperative principle, right? Cooperation right. among cooperatives. Do you know what the death of cooperation is though? One word, it begins with an E and it ends with an O, ego. Hmm. Yeah, I've been involved in many startup QSOs and many times you get to a point where someone in there is like, they just can't give up control, hmm. right? And ego is the enemy of uh, cooperation, unfortunately. And it's hard starting, well, you know, starting QSOs, hmm. you know, it's not particularly easy, but it's important. And, and what you do is important and you are, embracing that six cooperative principle, which I applaud yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, plenty of challenge uh, baked into starting a QSO, some that we've experienced for sure, some that I'm sure are coming and we don't know about yet, but um, mm -hmm. we're excited to play our small role in being a part of the solution, right? Mm -hmm. um, really uh, interesting idea about the traveling nurse, traveling leadership concept that's, you know, thinking especially of people in that stage of their life, which isn't always necessarily associated with an age group, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, people that can be a bit more mobile can, you know, move somewhere yeah. for a couple of years and be a part of the solution. And, um, yeah, I think, I think we need to have Courtney from filing on to, uh, share a little bit about what's going on in her world and maybe, uh, chat about this a little bit more. Cause it's super interesting to me. And I had the really fortunate opportunity to, um, mentor a crasher group at the PAC back in 2020. And, you know, like so many of those uh, opportunities, you stay in touch with uh, a lot of them, or at least are watching them from afar. And I, I will absolutely confirm that data that um, a, a lot of them have left their credit union now. Fortunately, some of them have left and are now a part of um, you know a company that's a credit union partner uh, yeah. or something like that. So they're still at least you know uh, involved in that way. But I also I know of several that have just left the industry. Or, left credit unions altogether. So, um, and yeah, it's a, it's a, of course life happens and people have to do what's best for them, but it is a shame, uh, especially knowing mm -hmm. the energy that, uh, you know, they brought to it. Then we're a part of a program that just helps reinforce the importance of what we're doing. So mm -hmm. cool. I'd love to see something like that tape shape, take shape. I did talk to Courtney about it and, and, uh, Taylor and they, they were very it piqued their interest. They were, it wasn't too long ago that I talked to them about it. So we've got some planting seeds, right? And some yeah. big, some big bright minds out there. See what I did there? Yeah. I like that. <laughs> right on brand. Yep. Really good. <laughs> so okay, so we have we have covered, uh, and we could go on for hours and hours and hours listening to you talk about small credit unions. Uh, we so we've talked, we've hit that. What are other things, Denise? Before we wrap up since we are unbelievably already getting into the point where we should talk about wrapping up, 
What are other things you're involved with you'd like people to get connected to or learn more about? Well, I would like to do a shameless plug for Zest AI and why I went to work Me there. Um, and I've, I've told this story many, but I've, it's my favorite story. I, I began as a teller in a credit union. And then when I became a loan officer, it was in the 80s and we had no FICO score. And so we did loans. We had a credit report, but there was no score tied to it. And when FICO came on the scene, um, I, I was there actively watching you know, people learn about it, embrace it. And I saw what it did. You know, I absolutely saw what it did. It became kind of a pass-fail mentality. I, I saw we stopped talking to members. We stopped hearing their story. Um, a lot of folks, their boards were risk averse. They got addicted to A-paper, right? And the A-paper caters to the, you know, the old white guy with a 25-year job with a gold watch when he retired. And, and it is inherently biased. And we know that. The current credit scoring system that has 30 data points was written like in the 50s. And at Zest, with machine learning and AI, we have hundreds of data points off the same trade report, right? We use exactly the same bureau data, but we look at it over time. So the thing I hate, because I'm obsessed with my credit score, I get on Credit Karma and when it gives me alert, like your credit scores change, and it never makes any sense. It went down 16 points, why? I paid off my mortgage. Oh, that's penalized me for that, right? (laughs) (laughs) But anyway. What it does is, you know, it takes a snapshot in time. It says today, because you've seen it, you know, today your credit card balance is higher than usual. So your score is going down. Well, it's Christmas, right? Right. And so you look at the Zest one and we're saying, yeah, that might be today for Denise, but what are the trends, right? We're going to look at hundreds of data points and say, what are the trends? Um, Also with AI and machine learning, we can score thin file, no file. And that's what, that was another reason the credit union, in my opinion, why the average age of credit member started to peak up because we were born with no credit score. Now they're born with a score of zero, right? Mm -hmm. A new person coming in is immediately penalized because they have not had the time. It's so ridiculous, right? (laughs) They have not had the time to establish a credit score. And so a lot of credit models said no. And that also comes back to like that community charter. They don't know this person. They have no credit. Mm -hmm. They're not going to take a risk. Way back in the day, I remember when we made that kid's first car loan, that got so much loyalty, right? Because dad brought in his son and we gave him their very first car loan and they were members for life. And we know it, right? We had that. So I just saw that traditional credit scoring system became a real negative. And it, and it just, um, we are really the intersection of technology and purpose. And, and, and I love, I mean, that's our mission, our values, the intersection of technology and purpose. We have one of the, hold one of the first patents for fair lending, um, AI, driven fair lending, so really a pioneer in the space, but also our culture, our leader, Mike DeVere, they are all in on credit unions because of the mission and financial inclusion and loaning more to minority populations using our technology, not to mention automating it, making it more efficient, mm-hmm. getting a member uh, an answer quicker because that's what they want, keeping those members. So I really, I am philosophically aligned you know, with CEST AI as well as having that experience which I'm so, that's why I'm so glad I'm the age I am, you know, because I have all this experience to draw upon wisdom. I'm not old, I'm wise. (laughs) But having lived through all those things, I I have a different perspective on it, right? And so it's just, it's a really good company. We were all back in the Burbank office last week. They flew everybody back because two thirds of us are now working remote, which is a wonderful gift Mm because I get to be with my dogs that I think you heard earlier. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's just a really, really great, company so and and they are also at CUSO 
and they have over 70 credit union investors and they are very committed to the credit union movement. So that's why I am at Zesty. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That is fantastic. I, you know, and I, I love that you brought it up that whole credit score thing uh, because I, I do think there's definitely a huge chunk of the population that doesn't realize it is made up. It's made up. We, we pick data points. Mm -hmm. That's, as I think you, I think mm -hmm. you said it, old white men picked data points <laughs> <laughs> that they liked <laughs> that made, you know, the people who were risk averse happy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did it to, I shouldn't say we, I had nothing to do with it, but <laughs> they did it to um, make more money, make, make the whole mm -hmm. process faster. Mm -hmm. uh, and it really just just like so many things uh that are created to make the world better we've we've managed to take that shortcut mm -hmm. and cut people out of the benefit yeah that that could have so yep. I, I love that discussion around like what what that credit means and mm -hmm. how we should be and uh you know personally my my first credit union experience um the FICO score existed when I started in the credit union, but I worked, it was a $2 million credit union. So I worked for a, I worked for a credit union president who like, oh, I don't know. I, I knew your dad in high school. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, you, you know, we're going to do this loan because I know your family or I know the place, you know, I know your boss and I know he wouldn't hire a, you know, someone I couldn't trust. Like he, he had that, uh, he had that philosophy. Um, he still used it. The character capacity collateral, we called it the three right. C's. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to his credit, if, if he made a bad decision on someone, if someone disappointed him, he didn't blame anyone else and mm -hmm. he went and collected on it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's simple. I mean, and yeah. I know not everything can be as high touch as he was, but, <laughs> but it really does bring, you know, bring us back, you know, you, you use the term Renaissance. It brings us back to that time of like, who is this person holistically? Mm -hmm. uh, what do, what do we know? What can AI, how can we use AI for good? Right. Um, yeah. To understand them so mm -hmm. that uh, they can get what they need. Yeah. And we, you know, maybe, maybe I should say at credit unions don't have to rely on trying to build that kind of relationship that a CEO of a $2 million credit union who knew everybody's dad. Had. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, that's how I looked at it when I really got to see like under the hood of, of our technology. And it did. That was one of the first things I said. I said, it's like going back to the three C's character. You get the full picture. You get mm -hmm. you get the story rather than again that snapshot in time that is ridiculous. I mean, I look at it all the time. It's just it's so flawed. It's and it, it and the scary thing is, I think 90% of decisions, whether or not you can get a cell phone, get a job, your insurance, you know, your mortgage, all those things are tied to a score that we know is is old, right? right. And it's not and it's not fair. And so um, how can you not get behind that, right? I just, I get super excited about not only what they do, but it's, it's a really good company, good people and a good culture. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, as Sue said, we could probably talk to you about uh, pick a topic from the day. We could talk about any of them for <laughs> hours. Uh, we do need to wrap. So I'm going to keep us moving here. Um, okay. And we're going to roll into our something awesome segment where we share recommendations for awesome things, things that are great that we've heard, that we've experienced. Uh, and uh, I'm going to kick it off with a link that we'll share. Oh, wait, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I need to back us up because uh, we talked a little bit about the um, CU DeNova Collective. And Denise, maybe you can just give us the 30 second elevator pitch. What is it? We'll share a link out to it, but what do people mm -hmm. need to know about what this is? Yeah, so it's CU DeNovo Collective, um, and it's cudenovocollective.org is the website. Um, it is a, a group of volunteers, which is super important, group of volunteers. It's a grassroots movement, and where we have a place, a gathering place, our website, where we are helping to start new credit unions and save small credit unions through a variety of in initiatives. We also applied for 501c3 and got approved, and we have a foundation that we're launching the first quarter of this year. So we'll look for a fundraising uh, effort to go out for grant programs. Again, grants to help start new credit unions and grants to help um, save small credit unions. And we love it because no one's paid. You know, it's volunteer grassroots, which is how credit unions began in America in the first place. A big shout out to CU Ideas and Brian Ringer. Um, when you see the website, it's very well done and they donated their talent and their time to nice. give us a really nice presence and a very powerful website. So got to give a shout out to them. Yeah, no, that's great. Awesome. I'm glad I made the brief amount of time for that. Um, we will definitely share out some information and uh, hopefully that's something that as <laughs> continues to gain some traction and more awareness, we can share more about that. Uh, maybe in another episode or something, we'll see. But okay. uh, we'll use that. Oh, awesome thing is uh, now the segue to our something awesome segment and I'll kick us off. Um, we're going to share a link uh, from wired.com. I'm a little bit of a like technology geek. I have like all the toys and all that stuff. It's, it's kind of like an addiction. It's uh, not healthy. I fully <laughs> recognize that, but um, I like to check out what's come out of CES every year. Uh, and so the link that we're sharing is from wired. That's kind of like the best of CES, at least according to wired. Um, there's so much cool stuff that uh, is happening in the realm of technology. And of course, with things like artificial intelligence, autonomous vehicles, mm -hmm. flying vehicles, which uh, if you check out the link, you'll see about something uh, cool that Hyundai is developing. Um, basically a flying vehicle that makes about as much sound as a dishwasher, kind of mind boggling to me, but- The Jetsons. Uh, I know, right? Yeah, it's like finally the Jetson <laughs> world is here. But uh, yeah, uh, without geeking out too much and getting into some of the specifics in that article, check out the link. There's just, it, you know, the rate of technology changing and how it impacts our lives is just always growing and uh, getting faster and faster and uh, just some really cool things. And some of it maybe is, uh, you know, a bit creaky, uh, creepy or, um, you know, tough to wrap your mind around it. But I think a lot of it is rooted in good and will make our lives easier and give us more time to do the important stuff that we do at work or at home. Uh, so. To me, that kind of technology is always uh, just helping to advance the world uh, with some exceptions, I'm sure, but um, cool stuff in, in the link. So check it out. Well, I like Wired Magazine. Am I supposed to share something awesome? Yep. Okay, I got to share. I um, had never heard of this show on Netflix and I heard it won all these awards and it's called Beef. Beef as in like, like steak, like beef. One word, never heard of it. And so I thought, well, I'll go check it out. Um, last week when I was traveling, I thought I'll check it out. And it's a, one of the, what they call one of those limited series. Mm. So it's 
I think 10 episodes, 30 minutes each. I've never seen a show like it. It does not follow any kind of formula. It is not predictable at all. The acting is amazing. Um, there's They deal with all kinds of subjects, um, even religion, which I, I like. There's actually kind of a religious, truly come to Jesus moment in it, which I think America needs more conscience, you know, of our actions and consequences. <laughs> and, and it's definitely baked into this. I've watched it, the entire thing twice already. Wow. And I watched the final episode a third time because I, I love it when things aren't really tidy because life isn't tidy. You know, I like kind of the reality of it and I cannot recommend, I, I'm so excited about the show and I, I, I like, I like to watch a lot of movies and, you know, interesting things, but this was, again, the, the acting was amazing. There's nothing out there like it because so many shows anymore or movies, especially they kind of follow the same basic yeah. storyline, you know, like, oh, this is kind of like that or mm. whatever. Plus I only knew a couple of the actors in it which is also kind of fun because then you don't relate them to any other character. You know, you're, you're meeting them like for the first time. Beef, Netflix. Yes, highly recommend. Awesome. Got it. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close it out. And I'm feeling really good right now because I think I am, I am combining Ben's nerdiness with Denise's <laughs> viewing recommendation. And I think this is... The sweet spot for me. So we have been watching Echo at Disney Plus. Echo is a Marvel character. Uh, speaking of nerdy, that is like my my husband and I do the Marvel thing. Um, and it is first of all, it is excellent. It is great representation. It is uh, if you don't know, Echo is a sort of a anti hero, um, but she is deaf. And she's an amputee. Wow. And she is uh, phenomenal. And she, it is like action packed. And the, uh, the actress that plays Ma uh, Maya Lopez is the character's name or Echo. It, her name is Alakwa Cox. And she is actually a member of the Menominee tribe Ooh, from nice. Kenosha, Wisconsin. What? Which oh I think gosh. is like that. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's everything right there. Personal right? pride <laughs> that she's from Wisconsin. <laughs> yes. Even though I should not. Um, but she's an amazing actress. Uh, the character is an amputee. She is an amputee. And she does some of her own stunts. And it is, it's fantastic to watch. Um, and also it has the additional benefit of having my one of my husband's favorite characters, which is Kingpin. So mm. Kingpin is just fun to watch too. And uh, that is my recommendation. Watch Echo, but don't watch it too fast because I we haven't gotten to the end of it yet. And I do not want spoilers <laughs> <laughs> in this show. Yes. <laughs> and that's, All right, that's so we cool. got Echo and, and Beef. Echo, Echo Beef and... Um, your flying Hyundai car, right? Yeah, yes. right. Yeah, so I'm the flying take my flying Hyundai car with my iPad. I don't know, somewhere tropical. It's really cold here today. I'm going to watch Echo and Beef on the way. And Beef. And I will say that, and this is not a spoil alert, but because it's right in the very, very beginning of the show, but it is about, it begins with road rage. 
Mm. Love it. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. So then your there's your car beef. And there you yeah. go. Perfect. It's all connected. <laughs> it's all connected. <sighs> we were gonna make it. This connect. is this is the definition of synergy. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> we're synergizing right now, you marketers. <laughs> well, Denise, as always, an absolute delight to have you. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for asking. I was so excited when I got asked and that we were able to get this on the calendar before I leave again. So, yeah, before you go to Cancun. I, yeah. I don't know if you know this, it's 35 degrees below zero where we are right now. <laughs> and you know, my friend, I'm going with three friends that live in uh, Seattle, the Portland area, and you've seen what's been going on over there. They had the mm -hmm. ice storm and and so they're, yeah. yeah. Pochi Lake, it's, it's cold, but not like that. That's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that hurts. That cold hurts. Yeah, right. if you have to just get one or two people out of the cold at a time and get them to Cancun, Denise, we're going to put you on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I got to take one for the team. Yeah, yeah. Portland. It'll be fun. <laughs> well, and thank you, listeners. You can always catch up uh, with our other episodes. You can go back and listen to Denise's episode from August. It was our live episode, and if I had been prepared for this, I would be able to tell you the name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is Humanizing Your Brand Live. I think that was it. Maybe. It was fun. It was yeah. fun. Go back. August of this year. Uh, and why don't we just share the link in with the show notes here. Uh, listen to that one. Listen to other podcasts. You can always catch up on your favorite podcast app. Or you can find those at our blog at exclamationcuso.com slash blog. Thanks again, Denise. Thanks, Sue. Thank you, listener, for tuning in. Be awesome. See you next time. The Awesomeology Podcast is a production of Exclamation Services. Thanks to Nick Mulliver for sound production and Kylie Ganther for our cover artwork. Executive producers are me, Ben Bauer, and my friend, Suzanne Campbell. <laughs>